Welcome to the Franchise Hounds podcast. I'm Greg Macchia, a certified franchise consultant. Thanks for joining me as I interview franchise industry pros to dissect, explore, and discover franchise ownership. Joining me today is Adina Bayo. Adina truly embodies the American dream. Escaping from the Civil War in her native country of Liberia at age 13, Adina immigrated to the U.S. and has since become a successful entrepreneur, having grown into a multi-unit owner of IHOP franchises in her home state of New Jersey and becoming a successful real estate developer. She decided to launch Cornbread in late 2017. Cornbread is a fast, casual, farm-to-table, soul food concept. Investing in people and developing the communities where she conducts business are at the forefront of all Adina's business ventures. For Adina, economic development through her work means getting a chance to improve and empower communities. This is evident through the many giving back programs run at many of Adina's restaurants, from providing free space to nonprofits for community events to providing free meals to disadvantaged veterans. I hope you enjoyed today's discussion with Adina Bayo. Adina, welcome to Franchise Sounds. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. It's an honor. As soon as I started, uh, you know, reading your bio and uh, more about what you'd accomplished, uh, I knew I wanted to have you on the show. Uh, plus, I, I I grew up in New Jersey, as I mentioned before we hit record, and, and I definitely have a soft spot for, for New Jersey. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Thank you. So, yeah, good to always talk to another New Jersey, New Jersey boy, you know, yes. a Jersey girl. So... That's right. And, and we definitely have a special bond. You know, I, I meet people from all over. And when I meet someone from Jersey, my wife is always like, you know, she rolls her eyes. Oh, gosh, here we go again. But I always I always end up talking to him, you know, and it's funny, you don't see that from other states as much, you know, you don't see two no, people from California saying, Oh, you're from California. It's, it's kind of cool. Yeah, Jersey is a special place. It's a very special place. Um, and I think that's the connection that you see kind of come through when you meet people that is from the Jersey, you know, the garden state. And, you know, someone asked me recently, why do they even call it a garden state? I'm like, cause they have a lot of farms. <laughs> yeah, I know they, they honestly, they do you know, Jersey tomatoes, right? And my sisters ship out Jersey tomatoes every August and, you know, really good soil. I know, uh, George Carlin used to have a skit and would joke and he would said the Jersey state, what are you growing smokestacks? But it's really, uh, <laughs> you know, I frequent a lot of farms, especially in the summertime and people, people don't understand that Jersey have a lot of farm. We have a lot of garden, you know? Yeah, no. And it's just amazing to explore them. Yeah, no, for sure. And it's, uh, it's really a, a beautiful state for sure. So I guess we can't. We could probably talk this whole episode about New Jersey, but maybe maybe we should talk. We should have an episode about per- New Jersey. We perfect. Should. All right, <laughs> we'll do it. So you know, your your path to becoming a, a successful entrepreneur is certainly not a typical one. As as you es- escaped the Civil War in your home country and and immigrated to the U.S., so I th- I thought a good place to start maybe a bit about your your childhood if you're you know comfortable talking about it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely uh, comfortable talking about it. Uh, I think it's a child, you know, sometimes I sit down and I see myself where I'm at today and I'm kind of in awe. I'm like, wow, 
you know, I've come so far from a little tiny village in West Africa where there's no running water called Foya. And I'm here today sort of talking to you. It just kind of defeats a lot of odds, you know, and a lot of struggles as well. You know, um, having gone through civil war, I think no one should, no human being should experience war. It really, um, it tests your humanity a lot. And as a little kid going through that civil war, the outcome of that civil war is that I'm sitting here today because my family was able to refugee out to the United States. So I guess you have to kind of go through the struggle to kind of make it on the other side. And 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 you're right. Not that you you know want to say that something good came out of it, but certainly uh, maybe you wouldn't have ended up here in in the U.S. Um, if you hadn't experienced that. So you know, I had I had read your 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 grandmother had woken you up in the middle of the night and said, you know, we we need to leave now. There's there's rebels coming. Um, I, I just can't imagine the uncertainty and, and fear of that and, and the courage it took to, to, to go through that. Yeah. My grandmother was like a powerhouse. That's like the best way to describe her. Like she was a woman. Like I tell you a story of my grandmother, when my grandfather died, she had this huge farm. I mean, she had a farm span over like hundred acres she had a restaurant, she had a bread factory, and she sort of did this all independent of him, you know? While he was out there with his multiple wives and things like that, she was building her business, right? So when he passed away, you know, his brother, their family sort of tried to take her land, you know, that all of a sudden this was his property. And she fought them. She fought them. She fought his brother. And not just for herself. She fought them so that other women in her village can own their own property. Because at that time, like she was saying to me, if you was a woman married, you wasn't entitled to anything. You didn't own any land. You didn't own anything. You're pretty much the property of your husband, right? So when this kind of happened to her, and she said the thing that motivated her the most was her brother-in-law was like a drunk. She said he was like a village drunk. She said, I couldn't imagine all my hard work being turned over to him. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, good, good for her. That's, that's incredible. Um, and, and what a, and what a role model for you, right? Like for you to, to see that, that's, that's really special. And all throughout my journey, all throughout my, my my childhood, I saw her triumphant. And when the rebels was coming, she knew she wasn't safe. She knew she was a woman that was marked. She knew because she was a successful woman that she would be outcast. These rebels would come and they would try to hurt us. So leaving in the middle of the night, that was her escape to save her life and her family. You know, because she knew she was a marked woman in that village. So when the rebels, you know, when we got word they were coming, she planned our escape. It was pitch dark at night and we started walking. 
we walked for like days. I mean, it, it was nonstop, you know, just to get over to another country. You know, I was, I was thinking, but besides the the entrepreneurial spirit from your grandmother, um, having, you know, walked away from all your possessions, the life you knew, maybe friends and other family, that that probably gives you, you know, courage in your entrepreneurial pursuits, right? You're like, gosh, starting a business, this is not scary. You know, walking through the middle of the night, that that's scary, right? So just have a different perspective. But let me tell you, let me tell you another part of that story that I often don't tell. When we left our village and went to the surrounding village um, in Sierra Leone, when we got there, there was this whole camp of other people from our country that had just set up camp. It was like a refugee camp, right? And when me and my cousin got there, we didn't have none of like the vegetables that, you know, we were accustomed to eating in our village. So me and my cousin decided, I think I must have been like eight or nine years old. My cousin at that time, she had to be 22, 23. We started this little business where we would walk back to our village, get vegetables on our heads, tore it back to the, the camp, sell it, and we would do this trip like two, three times a week. It was your first business, right? <laughs> you know, that was my first business. And and I'm not talking about like a short distance. I'm talking like you're in New Jersey. It's like walking from here to Trenton or even <laughs> it, it was a far walk. So this past two weeks ago when I did the New York City Marathon, it just brought me back there. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> that's that's quite an accomplishment. That's awesome. Thank uh, you. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and I don't, you know, pretend to know a lot about th that particular conflict uh, in Liberia, but I, but I do know that, you know, it, it's kind of become famous because of the, or infamous because of the children's soldiers and, and what they particularly, you know, the, the raping, the kidnapping, uh, all that of, of women and children, and I, I can't imagine <laughs> what gave you the courage to, to to go back and, you know, pick these vegetables and, and that sort of thing. Just given as a child growing up, you know, you think of, you know, war is obviously a, a terrible thing for all involved, but um, not many involved that that level of, of torment for, for children, right? Like it just was that particular conflict for children, you know, maybe, maybe friends of yours disappeared. You never saw them again. Things like that must've been just so hard as a, as a kid to be scared of, of that. And, um, you know, just for you to, you know, make that trip back and forth multiple times. I can't imagine uh, how scary that was. It's very scary. I think one thing I say to people all the time that human beings, we are brave. Like human being, we were, we are adaptable, you know, human beings, we are survivors. I think when we don't give ourselves, we don't give ourselves enough credit as to some of the things that we have triumphed over that we thought was going to really kill us, but didn't kill us. Right. When I think back around that time, it was pure survival. 
it was you are stuck in this camp. You have nothing to do, no food coming, you know. Why not, you know, make yourself useful? Why not start this business? And it was on my last trip that we're coming back from the village picking our vegetables that my dad was already in the United States, right? And he was on this hunt to find us, to look for his kids, to find us. So I'm coming back and I have this on my head. Like I have this, these vegetables in my head and we're coming out of the woods and these, the kids on the camp are running towards me and they're like, Adina, Adina, Adina. And I vividly remember this and I'm like, What's going on? Is someone missing a vegetable? Your dad is here. Your dad is here. He's here to pick you up, to take you to America. He's here to pick you up. But can I tell you that why I was in the camp, why I was in my village, I always had this imagination. And it was an imagination of me being in the United States. Now, I didn't know it because my parents were here, but I always had this vivid imagination that I would come to the United States. No kidding you. So when my dad came from it, he was like, he was shocked to see me coming with this vegetable. <laughs> what are you I'm doing? sure. I'm sure. And I'm sure you were you were shocked to see him. Um yeah, did, was your grandmother able to make the journey with you to the U.S.? Is is she still alive? Or so my grandmother passed, I think, four years ago. She was here. Came. I um, my dad came. He got us, and two or three years later, my grandmother came too. So we were reunited. We spent close to fifteen years together. A little over 15 years, and she made her journey to the other side. Um, but she got to see me open my first IHA, my first cornbread. She saw me really morph into this person that she had always envisioned. She always said to me, she always said that to me. So that was always an amazing part of my journey into business that she at least got to witness some of it. Yeah, that's why I was going to ask that. That's that's really amazing that she got to got to see you the success that you've had, and um, that's that's really cool. I'm I'm sure she was so so proud, right? She was she was she was very proud. She was always always proud. I know you've started other independent restaurant concepts, which I, I would love to talk about in a, in a little bit here. But initially, I was curious. Why, why franchising versus operating as an independent? Why IHOP? You know, what was appealing to you about the franchise model that, um, that you started there and you were comfortable with? The franchise model is unique in the way that, first, let's go back to statistics. You know, restaurant is probably one of the most riskiest business one can ever start, right? And then... You take that over what's happening with you take that what's happening with entrepreneurs and the failure rate of restaurant, right? So when I first got into this business, no one would finance me because they thought restaurant was probably one of the most riskiest business one can go into. But I increased my chances of getting financed because I got into the IHOP system. 
At the time, AHA was a 50-year-old brand, had been tested, proven. Uh, the concept was well put together. So that increased my chances. I believe in franchising because of fast-track way to accomplishing your dream of be a restaurant ownership or whatever industry that you're looking to franchise. It's fast-tracking it into a system that's already been tested, proven, and it's worked. So I think that's why I like franchising. It takes some of the risk out of it. You get to have someone partner with you. You know, we're in this together kind of a mentality. Yeah. And I always say, you know, in franchising, everyone's interests are really aligned in that, you know, the franchisor is not successful unless... Unless you are. Unless you are, right? And they, they really want you to be successful and, uh, and, and those kind of things. So it's, it is really a, a, a beautiful model. So how many, um, how many IHOPs do you now own? And uh, I guess, do you still own them? And, and how many locations do you have? Yes, I still own them. I have four. And we're building our fifth one right now. Well, wow, that's exciting. Yeah, working on building our fifth one right now. And I don't know. I, I love them. I think all of them are in places that are meaningful to me. And the impact that the restaurants are having in the community is what makes this wonderful for me. Uh, my IHOPs are all in underserved, marginalized communities that are suffering from not lack of talent. They're suffering from lack of investments, right? There's so many entrepreneurs that they have access to capital and they have someone that believe in them and they're not locked out of, you know, we're not locked out of, you know, the financial system in the United States. These neighborhoods can really thrive. So I've been fortunate enough to operate in those environments and been successful. So I'm not in a rush to get rid of the IHOP because it's part of my story. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And I think at the time when you, when you first got into the system, you, I believe you were the youngest owner in the, in the entire IHOP system. So, so someone there clearly, you know, believed in you, um, which is, which is really neat um, because, you know, besides being, you know, a woman and, and those sorts of things, you're also very young. Yeah. There was a lady at the time, she's still there. Her name is Nicole. I think she was instrumental in me being a franchise today instrumental. Without her, it could have never happened. And I think that she was a Black woman. She understood the struggle. She understood my plight. She knew what I was going through and she advocated for me, right? And I think that's why it's so important that we have diversity because that it, had she not been in there, my story wouldn't have been possible. That's why I believe in diversity. My company is diverse uh, lots of women, but still men, you know, we have the, the gamut and I believe in that wholeheartedly. Yeah. Yeah. You just, you needed the opportunity. You needed someone to, to, to give you that, give you a chance. I know, I know giving back to the community has, has always been important to you and, and some of the things you do at, at your IHOPs, I think you offer, you know, free meals to, to local school children and that sort of thing. Is that right? Yeah. You know, during the pandemic, we did free breakfast for young kids. We give out close to almost 10,000 pancakes for free. Uh, our annual turkey giveaway, we customers, we give free turkeys. Um, 
this Thanksgiving, we closed down the YMCA. We fed the homeless population. In December, we do this amazing program called Breakfast for Dinner, where we shut down the IHOPs and we feed the community. Anybody can come. We close down from like four to eight and we feed the community the favorite staples, pancakes, French toast, bacon, eggs, sausage. We give our toy to kids. And because I believe in that. I believe in that. Yeah, that's amazing. And I was curious, do you think you were, you're drawn to, to kind of food concepts because of the community gathering aspect of it? I think so. I think I'm a people person before I'm an entrepreneur. And my therapist said I'm a introvert that operates with uh, extrovert tendency, but I love people. I, I, I love to see smiles on people's face. And I think restaurants does that for me. I am, I come alive when I am in the restaurants. Sorry, I was the, the true franchise hound. My dog there was barking in the back, so I was. We got a third hose. We got a second hose. I, I... That, that's right. He wants to. <laughs> he heard. He heard about the bacon and the sausage you, you were serving up for free. And <laughs> he needs a seat at the table. He needs a seat. At yes, the table. that's <laughs> right. Right on. Right on cue. Gosh. So so let's dig a little bit um, into your expansion journey. So you you started with one IHOP. Was acquiring more kind of always part of the plan or? Yeah, definitely. Acquiring more. I always wanted to uh, be a multi-unit operator. And when the opportunities came up, I was looking for the right opportunity, right location. I just started taking advantage of them. And were those um, were those new locations, or did you acquire existing IHOP locations? One is existing; the rest of them are new. Can you talk a little bit at, at that point? You're, you know, I think you were 26 or 27, first time business owner, um, and I imagine your first location you were probably super involved in, as far as you know, you were there every day. Um, you you know you were probably you know really running the day to day operations, but um, when you go to you know multi units, uh, and I know you're involved in in other business ventures as well, real estate and that sort of thing. Can you talk a little bit about like is there was there a mindset shift that you needed to go through to say I'm you know I'm not a single unit franchisee. I'm not the general manager of this IHOP anymore. I need to think. I need to be the CEO or think bigger than this, right? Yeah, I think Warren Buffett says that you can be in the business to run the business, right? You have to take a 10,000 step view of the business and you have to start building team. I think when you're one unit operator, it's more about me. <laughs> Maybe two, you can still be me. Yeah, yeah, that's I like that. Three, you, you can't you can't be me. everywhere. Well, you can't open all three locations every morning, right? No, you just can't. And it took me a while to learn this, is that to be a successful business, to be a successful restaurateur, you have got to invest in the people that work for you and invest in your team. The best, the, the best advice is every store that you have, that have a great GM, that have a great leader, that store is going to thrive. It's incredible how like one one person can can make the difference, right? All they have to do is care. And all they have to do is care. 
And when they care, everybody else will care. When they don't care, nobody else cares. And, and to your point earlier, you know, um, maybe historically there weren't opportunities in, in, in these communities that you're now serving uh, for employment opportunities like this. So to, to give someone that opportunity to be a GM and to, and to lead their own team is, is really special. Extremely special and, and, and then create opportunities because I think when you work for these national brands, there's management opportunities. There is ability to build yourself up. There is ability to really understand that you can create your own ceiling, essentially. You know, it all depends on how far you want to go. Yeah, and 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 franchising in particular, I think it's a it's a great place for employees to start working because they they get to see the the systems in place. You know, they 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 have it. The franchises they have it figured out, right? They have the training, the systems. They have that solid base, which is great for any future business owner to see and experience um, what that's like and and how it makes. Uh, you know, a company successful. Absolutely. And I also think that when these national chains come in community, it sort of raised the profile of the community, right? So when you have national chain come into community, it also raised the job opportunity, job profile for the people that live there. Oh, sure. That, you know, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. I know, I know you, you have a, um, your, your new venture or one of your new ventures, I should say, is is called cornbread and it's a, a a fast casual kind of farm to table soul food concept. Um, can you tell us more about that? Yeah, cornbread is a love child. You know, the U.S. doesn't have a national soul food chain. Cornbread would be the first. And my goal with cornbread is to do what Chipotle did for Mexican cuisine. But just not by two white guys, but by a black woman, right? (laughs) (laughs) You know, when I think about what, you know, my son, he doesn't say, mom, I want to go to Chipotle to get Mexican food. He just said, can you take me to Chipotle? I want someone to say, mom, can you take me to cornbread? And you already know, right? Because I think no one is doing soul food the way we're doing it. No one is doing it in a kind of fast, casual way that we're doing it. The intentionality around technology, the intentionality around design, the intentionality about how we interface with our users, it's like a little tech startup, right? Uh, we just opened in Brooklyn. And when I tell you the lines have been out the door, we anticipate this store is going to be, you know, at best, a two and a Two or three million or so, you know, it's, it's well, well exceed that expectation, you know. And I think that there's this pent up demand because people have not explored that category. And there's a lot of soul food restaurants. I just wanted to do it differently. I wanted to do this with excellence. I wanted to do this with, you know, the mindset that this brand have to inspire the next generation of entrepreneurs. This brand is going to move the culture, you know? So yeah, I tell people, what it's, you know, my sister was like, how does it feel to have the hottest soul food restaurant right now? I'm like, I don't know. I'm in it. So I can't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> ask, ask me in a few years what I can, 
come up for air and take a breath, right? That's like, right. Yeah. So it's yeah, been that's that's really cool. And and also for kids in those communities to to say, gosh, the type of food we grew up eating, you know, now now the whole country loves this, right? You know, like yeah, that's, yeah. that's neat. Yeah, definitely. And it's been really, really beautiful. I mean, I have people coming in there that thanking me for putting such a thing together. You know, me and my partner, when we're in the restaurant, my co-founders, people, you know, they stop us all the time. I had grandmothers crying in there. And it's just been really amazing. It's been a beautiful journey. I'm inspired when I'm in there. That's neat. How many uh, how many locations do you currently have of cornbread? We have three. We're building our fourth one right now. Is this a concept that you'd like to grow by franchising? Is that kind of in the in the grand plans? Absolutely. I think I've always designed it in light of seeing it as a franchise. It's designed with franchise Z in mind. We're working on our FDD right now. We're looking to go live second quarter next summer. And it's going to be a franchise that not everybody can have because I'm looking for alignment. I'm looking for alignment. I'm looking for people that are aligned with the mission of this company. I'm looking for people that take pride in excellence. So we're going to be very selective in who those franchisees are. And also, we're looking to be a little disruptive in this franchising space to bring women along. If you look at a restaurant space, we have a ton of women in the restaurant. They just aren't in the C-suites. And they aren't in ownership box, you know, boxes either. So how can we pull those untapped market and make seat for them at the table? It's a, you know, and then look, listen, I've been in this business for a long time. You know, someone just told me, you know, it's not easy, but I think there's enough people that you can ask question to. If you never ask, the answer is always no. So I always tell the people, industries are hard because you don't build a network around you. And you, yeah, there's probably not, there, I mean, I, I think, you know, 30% of franchises are owned by women and, and it's probably maybe even less than that in the, um, in the restaurant space, right? So there's, there's not enough women that these current employees can look up to and say, hey, I'd, li- I'd like to be in that role type of thing. Um, so that's, um, I was going to ask, uh, about, about that. If, if you kind of had a grander plan around, uh, this franchise and, and who you would help become, uh, franchisees and the, and the communities you would serve. Right now in my stores, I think 90% of my GMs are women, you know, and that is amazing. hundred percent of the GM in Cornbread are women. I want to say of the AHA, we have one male and he's acting GM. The rest are women. You know, I believe in the power of women. I believe that women given the opportunity can be badasses, you know, like we can do this. Yeah, no, I agree. That's I have a, a nine-year-old daughter and an 11-year-old daughter, and I'm excited for them to to listen to this episode. It's funny. I, I told my daughter the other day, and she's going to laugh at me because- I said to her, if if you don't ask, the answer is no. Like just what you had you had said. Yes. If you don't ask, I got that from Steve Jobs, actually. 
you know, he talked about when he was young, he caught, you know, Hewitt Packer uh, owner at the time to ask for something that he was making, developing something. He asked for parts. Can you imagine? No, it's amazing. I know. I know. So I, I really think that that having been a franchisee yourself and, and still being a franchisee and designing this concept, uh, the cornbread from day one with the idea that I want to franchise it is, is so beneficial, right? So many concepts start out. It's just someone who has a good idea. They start a concept and then down the road, they decide they want to franchise it. And often the you know, the initial location looks nothing like what a franchise location would look like or act like. And there's there's questions, you know, it works like this. Will it work like this? So I really think that'll be so beneficial to future franchisees that you one that you're you're a franchisee yourself in another system, a very well established system that's had a lot of success, as you mentioned, you know, over 50 years. But two, that you've designed this from day one that this is going to be a franchise and this is this is how it should operate. So that, that'll be great for franchisees going forward. Yeah, I think, you know, having an industry expert at, as your partner is always a good thing. Even now when I'm doing business, I'm looking for people that have kind of been through the same path I've been through. So I think that's what made Cornbread so unique. And I think that's what makes the trajectory of it so um, great is that, I've been at this seat for quite some time. I've learned some hard lessons. And if you don't have to make the same mistakes that I made, don't. Sure. Yeah. Are you, uh, I was going to ask, are you familiar with the fast casual concept called Every Table? It's based in Los Angeles. No. No, because when I was speaking to you, it, it reminded me of that. And I, I, I would love to have that founder on. I don't know a ton about it, but they're, but they're trying to remove barriers uh, for business ownership for for black entrepreneurs through they have like this social equity franchise program where they promote managers from one location and and give them their own location type of thing and the other thing they're really looking at and it sounds similar to your mission is is they're looking at this nutritious food deserts essentially that that are sometimes in these urban urban markets right and they and they really view that as as racial inequality and they're saying the only options right now are you know cheap unhealthy food and how can we bring you know healthier food to these communities and also opportunities it's it's a it looks like a pretty cool concept but sounds similar to to what you're trying to accomplish yeah very similar very similar in terms of going in these underserved markets and being the catalyst to bring more people in and say, you know, there's a market here. You know, if I'm thriving here, you know, come and check it out. And on 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 the employment side, it's also great when you can inspire someone that was of an employee mindset to own a mindset. I think ultimately that is what Cornbread is aspiring to be and to do. Yeah, I mean, you'll open so many doors for them, even beyond cornbread, right? If that's if you know, that's right, right? Yeah, because look, you already running it. Go run it for yourself. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So you you've been super generous with your time, and and I I know we got to wind things down here soon, but I just wanted to ask, like, what do you attribute your success to, and what advice would you give to you know maybe other hopeful 
franchisees or business owners, um, if they'd like to have similar success? Tenacity. I think, I think don't give up. We're all going through a lot. You know, if I look at my background, look at where I'm from and all of the things that I had to go through, the unfairness, the, all of those things were, were made me, I didn't give up. Right. And it's very easy to get discouraged, but I want to say to people is when you're going through that struggle, that is what is building you. Right. And, you know, we're talking about a lot of things happening. We're talking about seven banks saying no to me to opening my first IHOP, working on project and nothing becomes of it. But you got to find a little victory in there and say, this is not a no. This is a redirect. This is not a loss. This is lesson learned. This is not. No, this is later. Right. So I think you have to find a civil lining and find a message in everything that's happening to you and just understand that everybody, everybody, no matter who you are, has a plan, has a destiny that God has for you. And nothing and no one is going to stand in the way of that plan and that destiny, not even yourself, right? So just know that there's something out there for you and it's your job to find what that thing is and intentionally pursue that thing. You know, that's all I would say to people. That's awesome. I love that message. I'm, I'm going to have a productive afternoon now after that. Uh, <laughs> you got me, you got me fired up. That's, that's really awesome. And I'm, and I'm sure even at, you know, your level of success now, there's probably some days where, there's still things that don't go right for you. And you're like, you know, whether it's access to capital or, and you're like, are you, are you kidding me? Are, are you're still telling me no. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I was just talking, you know, my CFO were raising a second round for cornbread. And I was just saying to her, I should go get a billboard that says, if someone's looking to invest into an entrepreneur that have a track record of running successful business that turn out profit her name is Adina. Please invest in her, right? But I wish it was that easy. It's not, you know, raising capital. You know the statistics. Access to capital for Black women funds, firms are difficult. It's like they don't exist. But nevertheless, I will pers- persevere. I will keep going, keep going, keep going until I find that yes. I will find that, yes. Yeah, and, and I don't know what the future holds for you, but I, I'm sure at some point in your future, you'll be, you'll be the one providing that, that capital to, to you know, young, young Black entrepreneurial women, right? Like you'll say, they told That's me, true. they like told that. me no, but I'm, I'm, I'm not going to tell you no, right? I like that. Yeah. I like that vision for me. I love that vision for me. Yeah. And I hope yeah. the universe is listening to you <laughs> and the universe will make it happen. All right. Well, well, Adina, this is this has really been awesome. I, I've loved you know your story and and what you represent for others. It's it's really the American dream, right? Like, it's 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 awesome, and uh, really Thank enjoyed you. meeting you and and learning more about the journey. And and next time I'm I'm back in New Jersey, I, I want to come to a cornbread and uh, connect and check it out. That would be uh, hey, maybe there'll be one here in Colorado soon, right? You never know. I might not even have you to wait. Know. 
That, that, that would be fun. So, well, thanks again. Appreciate you joining the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of Franchise Hounds. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you have a topic you'd like us to cover in a future episode or would like to work with me directly to explore franchise ownership opportunities, please reach out through the form on our website at FranchiseHounds.com.